Awesome. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 25. Have a number of blessings. Got to uh, have a great lunch today with uh, a young couple who's really uh, passionate about finding God's will for their life and the life of their family. And uh, God has uh, brought them our way to kind of scope us out. And I'm excited about that and always excited when uh, folks at least just give us a shot. Just give us a chance to see what God's doing at Fellowship Baptist. We're pretty excited about it. Excited about the fact that our missions commitment um, is up from last year. Not, uh, not a great deal, but a little bit. We're up to about uh, $244,000. Uh, for missions for the first Sunday in May is when our new missions year begins and runs through the last Sunday in April. So between now and then, we will uh, have received, uh, Lord willing, if it all comes in, somewhere around $244,000. If you weren't here Sunday and you want to get involved uh, in the missions program here, um, just see one of the ushers, ushers. They can get you a commitment card. Don't put your name on it between you and the Lord, not between you and the church, and just drop that in the offering plate, and uh, we'll make sure that it all is used for mission endeavors. So there's a lot of good things that God's done. Uh, the fact that we woke up this morning, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. and something that we normally take for granted, and honestly, we shouldn't. While you're finding your way to Genesis chapter 25, I want to let me ask you some questions. Which of these bothers you the most? Just answer in your, in your own heart. Missing a worship service or missing work? A sermon that goes 10 minutes too long or a lunch break that starts 10 minutes too late? The church not growing, or your garden not growing? Which, which, which bothers you the most, not opening your Bible or not opening your email? Neglecting your church work or neglecting your housework? Our answers to those questions and others certainly that could have been asked tonight is pretty telling as to how we feel about spiritual things versus other things. For the past uh, couple of Wednesday nights that I've been here to preach, I have preached on the profit or the value of certain things. We've read verses that, excuse me, that all have the word profit in them. Um, the first message was the profit of prayer. What, what good is prayer? What good does it do for us to pray? And then we, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the value of service, the value of serving the Lord and being involved in ministry and both of those things are found in Job chapter 21 and verse 15, where the question is asked, what is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit, there it is, and what profit shall we have if we pray 
unto him. So in the message tonight, I want to address the blessings of the Lord. And I want to ask you this question tonight. How much do you value God's blessings? How much do you value the blessings of God? We're just going to read one verse to start, and then I'll give you some background Uh, into the passage that that we're going to look at tonight, and then we'll get right into the message. Look at verse 32, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit, there it is, there's the word, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Esau was the oldest of two sons that were born to Isaac and Rebekah. His younger brother was named Jacob. Now I say he was the oldest, and he was, but only by a few seconds, because Esau and Jacob were twins. And there came a time, we just read it, there came a time when Esau questioned the value of God's blessing. You know, Pastor, I didn't, I didn't see that in that verse. I didn't see anything about blessings. Well, it's in the word birthright. And I'll explain that to you in a moment. The birthright was a blessing from God. So as we make our way through this story tonight, let's know, let's know first of all, what Esau lost. Now, let's talk about what he, he gave up. And I'll just state right up front, that what Esau lost, again, was the birthright or the blessing. Now, in Jewish culture, here's how it worked. The birthright always belonged to the firstborn son. Now, here's what that meant. It meant that the oldest son whether they were twins and just seconds apart or whether they were years apart, the birthright went to the oldest son, which meant this, that he was entitled to, that he would receive a double portion of his father's inheritance. So let's say that a father had two sons, as did Isaac. He would then divide his inheritance into three equal parts, and the oldest son would receive two of those parts, while the other would receive one portion. So let's put it in terms that we can wrap our mind around and give it some significance. Let's say that Isaac had an inheritance of $120,000. He would divide that into three equal portions, which would have been $40,000 each. 
which would have meant upon his death, Esau would have gotten $80,000 because he was the oldest, and Jacob would have received $40,000. Well, here's what verse 32 means. If you want to think of it this way, Esau gave up $80,000. He gave up the birthright. But now listen, not only did he forfeit the material blessings of the family, but he also forfeited the right to lead the family spiritually. Because upon the death of the father, then the eldest son then stepped into the role of head of the household. He became the spiritual leader of the home and of the family. Look at verse 31. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, we are to read this. I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob, verse 33, said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Now, church, understand this tonight. This was no small matter. This was, without a doubt, the most costly meal that Jacob ever ate. He literally gave up everything. Think about this. He gave it up, he gave all of it up for one lousy bowl of stew. At this point, I would submit to you that Esau lost what he lost because of what he lacked. A man by the name of J. Stuart Holden wrote this, when a man becomes dominated by anything which distracts from his reverence for spiritual and eternal things, he is in dire danger. Included in that word anything could mean any number of things that are in themselves good things, right things, admirable things, things that bring pleasure, things that bring comfort. But here's what he said, and he's exactly right. When those things distract our reverence for spiritual and eternal things, then we are in dire danger. I think it's safe to say at this point that Esau was in dire danger. And I would say that for two reasons. There's a twofold cause. Number one, it was caused by his desires that were mastering and secondly, because of his desires that were missing. 
Esau was, as one writer put it, a creature of impulse, ready to satisfy his desire without thought of consequences, without self-control, without spiritual insight, without capacity even to know what spiritual issues were, judging things by immediate profit and material advantage. In other words, he gave no thought to what he might give up long-term because he was just focused on what he could get right now. Does that make sense? He was an impulsive being. This decision to sell his birthright was an impulsive decision. It was a poor decision. It was based upon what was mastering him. Now, here's how the New Testament describes Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. I'll say it again. Esau, what Esau lost was entirely due to what he lacked. Let me point out two major things that were lacking in Esau's life. Number one, he lacked control over the physical. Now, here's the story. Esau, he was the outdoorsy type. He was the rough, rugged outdoorsman that loved to hunt and loved to fish and loved to shoot guns. Okay, maybe I just threw that third one in there. But you get the idea. He he was the outdoorsy type. He was rough. He was rugged. The, The Bible says, if you read all of this, that he was a hairy man. Oh, for hair, but who, you know. So one day, here's the deal. He comes in from this hunting trip, and he's starving. He's hungry. I mean, he's really, really hungry. You read what I read. He said, I am at the point to die. Now, how many of us have said, I'm about to die of hunger? When the truth is, we weren't even close. Come on. We weren't even close to dying. But Esau comes in and he says, I'm about to die. So it doesn't matter what I give up. Because I'm hungry. And the truth of the matter is, he was probably just a few seconds from going from hungry to hangry. How many have ever been hangry? When I'm really hungry, I get, it's not hungry anymore, I'm hangry. It's like, give me some food. I'm not pleasant to be around. So this is where Jacob comes into the story. And we don't have time to go into the life of Jacob Maybe we will at some point. But Jacob was obviously Esau's brother. He was not the outdoorsy kind 
of guy at all. He was definitely more the indoor type. Okay, time out. Let me throw this out there to you parents. It's a dangerous thing when a parent tries to bend their child in a direction that God has not bent them. For, for example, a father to try to turn his son into an outdoorsman, into a football player or a basketball player or a hunter or fisher, when God has not bent him that direction is a dangerous thing. Same thing, moms and daughters. Listen, God has bent each of our children. Some are artsy, some are indoors, some are outdoors. Listen, just go with it. Just accept what God has created them to be. Because you're going to do damage if you try to bend them in a direction that is not their natural bend. Does that make sense? That didn't cost you any extra tonight. I just threw that in there for free, okay? Just be careful about that. But I'm contrasting Esau, the, the rough and tumble outdoors kind of guy, and Jacob, the, the, the indoor, perhaps artsy, creative. Uh, he was a cook, and that's what he was good at. That's what he enjoyed. It doesn't mean anything other than the fact that the two sons were different. How many of you have two kids that are different? Yeah, it's no big deal. So Jacob had cooked up this mean pot of delicious smelling stew. And when Esau caught a whiff of it, he said, I got to have some of that and I've got to have some of it right now. And so at this point, Jacob, if you know anything about Jacob, you know I'm telling you the truth here. Being the conniving, sneaky, dishonest kind of person that he was, he saw an opportunity here. Yeah. Not a problem, Bubba. You want some of this stew? I'll sell you this stew for your birthright. For your double portion of God's blessings. For your $80,000, if you will. Sure, you can, have a, you can have a bowl of this stew, not a problem. Pretty hungry, huh? You with me? And so Jacob cashes in on this opportunity. And, and he, he does what his brother asked him to do. He gave him a bowl of stew... But at the same time, he got the birthright. He got the $80,000. How many of you would pay $80,000 for a bowl of stew even on your most hungry day? No. You wouldn't pay $80 for a bowl of stew. Jacob, if, again, just relating it so we can understand it, spent $80,000. He gave everything for a bowl of stew. Now here's the point. He was hungry. His flesh was crying out, feed me, feed me. And at this point, 
he had to make a decision. Will I take the physical, my, my physical appetites, or am I, am I going to hang on to the spiritual blessings? So he had a choice between the physical, the material, and the spiritual. Sadly, he chose the physical over the spiritual. And here's why he did it. Because the physical was the more dominant. The physical was the more dominant. It was more important to Esau to have the temporary needs of his physical desires met than to enjoy the permanent, long-lasting rewards of the spiritual. Are you tracking with me? So let's make some application here. The Bible speaks of man as being three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit. We're a trichotomy. Body, soul, and spirit. The body is the, the visible, physical part of us. It, it's through our bodies that we relate to the, the world around us by way of our five senses, sight and touch and taste and smell and hearing. The soul is the unseen part of us. It's who we are. It consists of our mind, our emotion, and our will. So when we look at one another tonight, as I look at Curtis, this really isn't Curtis. This is the body by which he relates to the world around him, but the real Curtis, the mind, the emotions, and the will are the unseen part of him that I can't see. So there's body, there's soul, and then there's spirit. The spirit is that part of us that makes contact with God. It's our spirit that makes us different from all other of God's creation. Let's take a tree, for example. A tree has a body, but it doesn't have a soul or a spirit. A dog, on the other hand, has a body and a soul. And in my own personal theology, my dog has a spirit. And she's saved, and she's going to heaven. Now, I don't know where your theology is. It really doesn't matter because I'm the one preaching tonight. I'm just telling you where my theology is. But biblical theology probably tells us that a dog has a body, it has a soul, it has emotions, it has a will, has a mind, but it doesn't, in all seriousness, have a spirit. The only part of God's creation that relates to him and him to it is us. Our spirit is what sets us apart from, from all of, of God's creation. So here's God's desire. Stay with me. Here's God's desire. It's that our spirit influences our soul 
And our soul, in turn, influences our body. Would you agree with me tonight, according to the New Testament, that we are to be spirit-led people? We're not to be emotion-led people. We're not to be, we're not to be a, a physically-led people. That we are to be a spirit-led people. Our spirit, the part of us that, that is in contact with God, is to guide our mind and our emotion and our will. And in turn, those things then dictate what the body does. But what happens many times is what happened in the case of Esau. We let our bodies call the shots. We just, we get it all messed up. We get it reversed. We make decisions based upon what our body wants rather than what our spirit tells us is right. Okay, it's Sunday morning. And the alarm goes off. And the Spirit says, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the Lord's day. This is the day devoted to worship. I need to get up and get ready because today's the day we go to church. But the body says, you just wait a cotton pick a minute. I have worked all week long, and I'm tired. And this is my only day of rest. And so, I ain't going nowhere. You with me? So at that point, we've got a decision to make. Are we going to respond to the call of the Spirit? Or are we going to respond to the call of the physical, of the body? You know which one we're going to respond to? The one that we have fed the most. The one that is the strongest. And if you've not fed your spirit during the week with with good doses of Bible reading and prayer and spiritual songs and filling your heart and mind with spiritual things and all you've done is feed the flesh and feed the body, then the body's going to be the strongest. And nine times out of ten... The body's going to win, and the spirit's going to lose. And it, 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 let's, 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 let's go this way. Let's say, um, let's say the devil comes along with, with some kind of temptation. Maybe it's a temptation to look at the wrong thing, or to think the wrong thing, or to say the wrong thing or to do the wrong thing and our body listen our body the physical the fleshly part of us says go for it it it, it, it's all good it looks nice it feels great it's it's what's going to make you happy and then they throw this one in for good measure And besides that, one time won't hurt. And yet there's the spirit, the part that connects us to God, that says, no, don't do it. 
You know better. It's wrong. It's a sin. And again, at the end of the day, the one that's in charge is going to win. Galatians 5, I believe it is, says that the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. If you're here tonight and you're saved and you, your spirit has been made alive to God, then you have this battle going on. I have this battle going on many times during the day. This constant struggle between flesh and spirit and what is true of me is true of you, is true of Esau, the one that is the strongest, which is the one we fed the most, is the one that will win. Amen. Pure and simple. It's not any more complicated than that. Well, in Esau's case, the body, his physical fleshly appetite was large and in charge. And it won. And it cost him. His birthright. Again, the question tonight is, what value do you put on God's blessing? What value do we put on the spiritual as opposed to the physical? I submit to you tonight that Esau lacked control over the physical because he lacked concern for the spiritual. Look again at Hebrews 16. It says that Esau was a fornicator. Now, I could be mistaken here, but I don't recall reading anywhere in the Scriptures where Esau was physically, sexually inappropriate or sinful in any way. Now, again, I stand to be corrected tonight, but I don't ever, ever re remember reading of him committing adultery or, or anything. But here's what we need to understand about the word fornication, about the word fornicator, about adultery, adulterer. Sometimes in the scriptures, God uses those words. And he's not talking about being physically unfaithful. He's talking about being spiritually unfaithful. It's as if we're married to God. You with me? And when we give our love and our affection to someone or something else, and we're being unfaithful. And so the New Testament refers to Esau as a fornicator. And, and I would submit to you tonight that here's what it's talking about, that he was spiritually unfaithful to God. He chose the physical over the spiritual. To quote Hugh Black again, spiritual values had not a high place in his, speaking of Esau, in his standard of things. 
And Esau said as much in our text when he said to Jacob, What profit shall this birthright do to me? And I'm standing here, I'm about to die because I'm so hungry. And so what does this thing mean anyway? So you can have it. Listen, Christian, we are in a sad state of affairs. Or as the writer said earlier, we are in dire danger when we begin to question the eternal value of the spiritual in light of the temporal value of the physical. Esau had desires that were mastering him because there were desires that were missing in him. Look at verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau, look at this, despised, circle that word there, despised his birthright. To despise here means to disesteem or to take lightly. Sadly, the spiritual blessings that his birthright would bring him were just not, at the end of the day, at that moment in time, they just were not important in light of the temporal satisfaction that a bowl of stew was going to bring. Does that make sense? So let me wrap this up tonight by talking about what Esau learned. We read Hebrews 12, 16. Let's read the next verse. It'll be on the screen. For ye know, you read the rest of the story, ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. There would come a time when Esau deeply regretted what he had done. And listen, even though he sought a reversal of the consequences... What was done could not be undone. He lost everything that was spiritual when he gave up the birthright. But there came a time, there came a day when he would have given up everything physical if he could have that back. So what did Esau learn and what can we learn tonight? Real quick, we learn how we should view the eternal. If you don't get anything else tonight, get this, will you? Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. Never sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. Yeah, but pastor, look what I can have right now. Okay, good. 
But stop for a moment and ask yourself, what's this going to cost you in the future? Yeah, I understand the, the satisfaction and the, the fulfillment of having this right now, but let's stop just a moment, just a moment, and ask ourselves, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, what is this going to cost me down the line? And do not sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. Because that's exactly what Esau did. But he learned something that we should all learn. And, and, and that is that a life that is lived in the present ought to be lived in light of the future. As believers, we should live with a, an awareness that this, listen, this life is not all there is. There is a life to come. We should live with this understanding tonight that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. One day we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for everything we've done. And we can all be assured that on that day, we will wish we had chosen, we had not chosen rather, the temporary pleasures of this life over the eternal rewards of God's kingdom. So we learn from Esau how we should view the eternal and how we should value the eternal. I promise you there came a day in Esau's life that he wished to God he had not sold his blessing for that stupid bowl of stew. By the same token, there will come a day in our lives when we realize that the houses we lived in, the money we made, the toys we had, the things our kids accomplished, the names we made for ourselves, etc., will pale in value to what we could have had had we put more value on the spiritual. Now church, listen to you. you. know me. And I do not preach against having things. I don't preach against doing things or enjoying life. As a matter of fact, if I read my Bible right, the Bible says that God gave us all things richly to enjoy. So God doesn't have an issue with us prospering and having things but what I do preach, because it's in the Bible, is that we need to make sure that those things do not have us. We need to remember who's boss. Those things should not be the master in our lives. Because in the end, you know this, in the end, 
we're going to leave all of our money and all of our earthly possessions and all of our accomplishments behind. And at that moment, the only things that will matter are the things we did for God. Amen. Somebody wrote, only one life shall soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's true. So my question tonight is this. What is important to you? You don't have to go home and burn everything and sell everything. Salvage it. You, you don't have to do that. But just stop for a moment tonight and ask yourself, where am I placing my value? What am I giving the majority of my time and my energy and my effort to? Are they things that are just benefiting me now and bringing me joy now and pleasure and fulfillment now? Or am I putting more time and energy and effort into things that will be rewarding in the life to come? Yes. Now, there's a balance. Listen, I enjoy living life. I enjoy riding my motorcycle. I enjoy watching sports. Getting older, I don't enjoy participating in sports as much as I used to. The older I get, the better I was. That kind of thing. But I still like it. And God's okay with that. Listen, here's something to think about. If God, if God didn't like sports, then why did he let Paul write about running and boxing and wrestling? God understands those things are part of life. Toys are part of life. Big boy toys, you know what I'm talking about. Surely you don't have little dump trucks and things. But, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying tonight? What carries the most value in our life? And if we need to make some adjustments, let's make those adjustments. Yeah, preach, it's going to be hard. I get that. It would have been hard for Jacob to have cooked his own supper that day. But if we could go talk to, or excuse me, Esau, but if we could talk to Esau tonight, he would, he would tell us, man, I wish I would have cooked my own meal. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We got just a couple of minutes.